There was a guy I spoke to who said, you need to pretend like just one day you flip the lights on and you're there. Website needs to be there. Right. Facebook page needs to be there. A video needs to be there. Photos need to be there. You need to have something recorded. So like yes. you just walk into the room, you flip the switch on, and there is new deco. It has a presence. It has a right. life. Uh -huh. So part of this idea of bringing the musicians in was to say, hey, we're going to make this video. We're going to record a couple pieces. We're going to record a couple audio things. We're going to record some video things. We're going to do some interviews. It's a whole day of picture everything. Like nice. we, we invested a lot of money in pretending like we were an organization that already existed and was alive Smart. so that we can go, blip, and then all of a sudden we're there. Everything there, photos, audio, video, website, Facebook page, all of it. And that was like a really good piece of advice because it gave us a focus to like really just get it done mm. and make it happen. And he was right. We were in the finals and we were just like, we're going to do this anyway. Yeah. And then through that process of just you know pulling down from the universe, this is what we're going to do, yeah. we ended up getting that grant after. But once we flipped the lights on, we're there. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business podcast i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book Today, my guests are Giacomo Bayros and Sam Hyken of the new Deco Ensemble based in Miami, Florida. This episode is for all you orchestra nerds out there. I am guilty of that. I played an orchestra most of my life. For those of you who don't know, I'm a trumpet player too. And uh, I love going to the LA Phil in LA and love orchestra music. So uh, the New Deco Ensemble actually does something quite different. So they were uh, formed in 2015, and they are an eclectic orchestra. They have members from all over the country, and they, they're known for doing collaborations with pretty big artists such as Ben Folds, Jacob Collier, Kimbra, Wyclef, Kishibashi, Corey Henry, Stephen Marley, Emily King, to name a few. Their upcoming season starts October 29th, and this year, obviously in the COVID era, it's going to be quite different. They don't get to have their live audience. They're going to be live streaming all of their performances, but the orchestra will be together. COVID's safe. Their manager is Andrew Lieb of Red Light Management. You might remember Andrew from being on a previous episode of this show. So this episode was actually recorded this past February, so months back, right before the shutdown, this was uh, actually right uh, before or after, I don't remember, Andrew, Giacomo, and Sam and I all went to the Grammys together. This season that's coming up includes collaborations with Jose James, Larkin Poe, Corey Wong of Wolfpack, Corey Henry... And Richard Bona. They also are doing arrangements of music by Led Zeppelin, Pharrell Williams, Duke Ellington, The Beach Boys, George Gershwin and John Adams, Earth, Wind & Fire, Valerie Coleman, 
Dr. Dre. This is going to be a great season, and I'm actually really interested to see how they pull it off. (laughs) Um, But we get into their story, and obviously this was before they knew they were going virtual, but they have a really interesting story. So as always, please follow and subscribe and like this show, however you're listening to this. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Ari Herstand. You can follow the show and the company and everybody behind the scenes at Ari's Take. That's just at Ari's Take on Instagram and Twitter as well. Also follow the New Deco Ensemble on all the socials. It's just at New Deco Ensemble. Visit Ari'sTake.com and sign up for the email list. If you're not on that email list, you are missing out. This is where I send all the most interesting, most important information about the new music business that you need to know. Sign up on the email list. That is at Ari'sTake.com. All right, let's kick it in the show. Giacomo, Sam, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for yeah. having us. Yeah, and Thanks welcome to LA. Yeah. This is, uh, so you're based in Miami. Yes. And uh, you've been in LA now just a few days, right? And uh, this is exciting because uh, for people listening, uh, we sat right next to each other at the Grammys yes. and, uh, <laughs> you know, rocked out to Usher's Prince tribute and uh, Billie Eilish and all of that. This was your first Grammys, right? First one. How was that? What was that experience like? It was incredible. Um, it was just amazing to see all the phenomenal acts. I mm-hmm. mean, for me, like my junior high self seeing Aerosmith <laughs> oh, performing with yeah. Run DMC was was really unbelievable. Oh, and man. just the, um, the the pairings and to see that live and just to see all these amazing artists kind of all in one fell swoop at one show. Mm-hmm. And the experience of just being in the Grammys um, yeah. and, you know, especially being in L.A. I mean, it was a really deep moment, you know, after everything that happened with Kobe, but being mm. in the Staples Center um, as the, in the first public moment mm. um, was really powerful and incredibly sad, but really just, um, it was just amazing to be there. Right, because Kobe Bryant had just passed away that morning, five hours before yes. the Grammys started, and so it, it kind of turned into a big tribute to Kobe. Right, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. um, did you guys, have you, did you grow up uh, watching basketball or anything like that? Both of us are big basketball fans. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, what a what a night. And you. Uh, so, New Deco has actually collaborated with quite a few Grammy nominees and winners of this year. I know. Right before we walked in, you ran into a former collaborator slash Grammy winner of the evening, Jacob Collier. Um, and I actually. So I watched that performance, the Jacob Collier, which was incredible. The one that that's online right now, the YouTube one. Um, and there are so many things that stuck out to me about about that one in particular. I mean, for one, Jacob's compositions in and of themselves are so complex. There's already so much going on. I'm curious, Sam, how you approach something like that and then what you take when you arrange it into a full orchestration because – Already there's so much happening, but I'm curious like what you choose to, to hone in on and what you pull from. Is there much um, collaboration with the artist? Like did you work with Jacob on the arrangement or did he just show up and you just you guys just ran through what you've done? So with the artists that we collaborate with, it's varying degrees of, of how much they want to be part of the collaboration process. Okay. With some, there's a back and forth. Um, when we had Wyclef Jean, he actually went to the studio and recorded new remixes, new versions of the songs that we did with him. No shit. With Jacob, yeah. um, we were actually doing um, 
pre-written arrangements that he had done with Metropole, but I just took them and adapted them from Got the it. deco. So, okay. so Metropole is a big band that has strings. We It's a much smaller winds and brass section for us, but we do have a larger complement of percussion. So mm-hmm. I was able to to take the arrangements and, and make them almost, like more classical sounding isn't the right word, but when you replace um, saxophones with bassoon and mm-hmm. oboe, it's just going to have a, a bit of a different touch to it. Cool. Um, so so ours have lean more to the orchestra side than the big band side. Gotcha. Um, and so, so for like Wyclef, for instance, um, so he went, you said he recorded, went before the performance and yes. recorded some of this? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. He went to the studio um, and, and he would either like do, do a remix or a mashup. He took, um, um, we did uh, Hips Don't Lie the, mm-hmm. for, with Shakira and sure. he actually um, put uh, Drake's, um, was it One Dance? Like first, I can't, it's just giving me right now, but yeah. that Drake song um, on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then I took what Wyclef did and orchestrated and add my own lines to it. Mm, cool, cool. Um, so, because you you arrange every piece that you guys do, all the guests are well, not every single piece. Okay. Um, uh, we do a lot of living composers and gotcha. original music as well. Cool. But all of the guest artists that come in, um, and all of um, the reimaginings of contemporary artists like Af- Outkast and Daft Punk, yeah. those are the arrangements that I do or do with members of um, our our ensemble in collaboration. Yeah. Um, yeah, I watched uh, and watched and listened to, and like the audio production is phenomenal too, and the video production. I mean, right. it's like a full on thing, which right. is great. Um, and is that? All, and I I noticed something else while I was watching this, and this was really interesting. I want to ask you like how this functions live in the in the hall. Um, it seemed that every nearly every instrument was individually mic'd. Yes, is that? That's true. Yes, we do not do any zone miking with with New Deco. It's all all of our strings are all on DPAs. Is that um, just for the recording, or is that like pipe? It's for live the sound. It's for live sound as well. It's a Whoa. combination for both. We. It's one of our. The as Jack would say, the ethos of New Deco. One of our rules is that everything we do is amplified at the higher level. Wow. We're a 21st century orchestra. We're trying to create a 21st century sound. And our audio team. Yeah. We really we list them really as part of the musicians, and they, we consider them like a member of the ensemble because mm. what they do is so critical to the the sound of what new deco is so when you're in the house um and you're experiencing uh how many piece orchestra is this 30 yeah we we range from as little as we have a smaller version which is about mm-hmm. a 17 piece okay. all the way up to when we're playing in large pa um, performing arts centers yeah at the arts center we do almost around a 40 piece wow so you're experiencing 40 uh piece orchestra individually mic'd coming through these speakers. I mean, are there orchestras that do that anywhere else? I mean, I, I go to the LA Phil, they don't do that. Uh, very, very rarely. Um, there's an orchestra in, um, that's been around for, for quite some time in London called the Heritage Orchestra that does amplification. Okay. And I'm not sure, um, honestly, if Metropole is, is amplifying or not, but, mm. but it's for us, the amplification is not just the balancing of the instruments, but actually like the sound that we're creating. Well, that's the other thing because the sound um, and Giacomo, I want to bring it to you with this because uh, the first thing I noticed uh, was the pocket mm-hmm. actually. So um, because and the 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 drummer, like the kit player and the bassist, first off, who are these motherfuckers? <laughs> because these <laughs> guys, bad boys. Yeah. they are bad. Yeah. Holy shit! I mean, and they just like and I was so astounded at how deep the pocket is yeah. with the orchestra that's that's falling right into it along with them like normally you're like oh a funk band's got a deep pocket or you know 
you got an R and B outfit or something like that, and they're they're grooving hard. But you don't anticipate a thirty-piece orchestra on top of that being able to groove, like yes. fall into the groove. So how do you work with that? And like, how much you know do you give those players, and then kind of bring the orchestra? Like, how how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's all been very organic, right? Okay. So we when we first started the group, we didn't have quite the rhythm section that exists as it is now. Yeah. But over time, mm. we've developed this incredible sound through just trial and error in a lot of ways. And okay. as we brought more and more rhythm section guys in, and like really became this hybrid ensemble from going from like this new musicy, you know, contemporary orchestra that had electric guitar and stuff when it was needed or felt mm. like it was going to be important. But the suites caught fire so much that Sam was creating that that rhythm section really evolved. And as yeah. it evolved, those guys got better and better at playing with each other, mm. listening with each other, and then learning how to listen to strings. One of the conversations I've had many times with our drummer is like how the nuance of strings and how they react are a lot different than your typical uh, instrument that they would normally play with. Sure. So they're listening in new, more nuanced, intense ways. And our drummer is so good at like understanding how to, you know, he didn't study like classical music per se in the way we did, mm -hmm. but he has such astounding ears. He's mm -hmm. able to like fold the way he plays and the way to be in a pocket in with strings. And they've been to him too. Mm. And you mentioned the groove of the bass player, you know. Yeah. The more people like work together and groove together and go through the fire together, yeah. the more they are going to be able to connect and have synergy together. And we've mm -hmm. gone through so many concerts where we've put those guys on the toes, put them playing music that had to read the charts in a new and di different way. You know, Dale, our bass player, can obviously sit in the pocket and jam and do all the kind of yeah. great stuff we need, but he also can play classical music too. So mm. it just has really evolved over time. And that relationship between the musicians and myself, especially the rhythm section, and we were talking this weekend, yeah. um, Armando and I just look at each other and we know what we're, we're saying now. He's the drummer? Yeah. He Armando, looks at me, yeah. he knows yeah. I need it softer or faster <laughs> or louder or slower or wow. more chill. Like I don't even have to like, I can barely make a nudge and he gets it. And mm. and that's something that's really special you find with like big orchestras like the Chicago Symphony or Concertgebouw. And they, they look at a conductor in a way and the conductor makes an eye motion. It could be physical, it could be facial, it could be body, yeah. but it all comes from deep within. Mm. And when the musicians are really connected to you and you have this relationship with them, yeah. uh, especially an orchestra that you've been conducting normally for a while, then there's this really sort of interspecies communication that starts to happen. Mm. And people really like start to bond and, and trust each other. And yeah. I think we've built a big trust between Sam, the writing, my musicianship, the musicians' musicianship, all combining together. Mm -hmm. That trust has been building for five years. And it's exciting because... We're just really finding that groove that's right. making us do what we do, and it just shows that the future is going to. We're going to get even more in that sort of pocket of understanding each other, and right? The pocket of understanding yeah. each other with the pocket of the group. Yeah, I love yeah, yeah. that. Um, so, have all of these players, uh, or have a lot of them, been there since the beginning? I mean, it's evolved a bit. There's okay. some people have been there from the beginning. Some okay. people move away. Things have changed. Things sure. happen. Life is life. But uh, for the most part, a lot of the people who started with us in the orchestra are. I've been there. Um, we have a bassoon player. I think he's missed one show because he was deathly sick. You wow. know, so people are really dedicated. Yeah. Um, but you know, things change and happen as you grow. When you have thirty pieces, of course, it, people come in and out. But there's been a real dedication by our uh, our musicians to want to stay and grow and see where it goes. They felt the energy a couple of years ago. They mm. knew something special was happening. Something magical was happening with all of us. They yeah. trusted Sam and I. Mm. Sam and I have really worked hard to not only earn their trust, but keep their trust, keep things transparent so they see where it's all going, update them on what we're trying to do, bring out positivity, and, and just kind of reflect with them 
you know, we do this a lot before a show. We have like pre-concert talks where it's part hype, part thank you, part um, inspirational because mm-hmm. we're so proud of not only what they're doing, but what it's doing for the community. And we want to make sure they understand that. And that feeds into everyone just wanting to do the best they can so instead of, you know, uh-oh. pressuring them, you know, or something. Right, right. No, I mean, they seem very at ease just by watching it and mm-hmm. listening it. It just yeah. like, it feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's the other thing is just like, I mean, for me, um, you know, going to the orchestra, going to see an orchestra, um, no matter what kind is it, whether it's the LA Phil or, or whomever, uh, to me, it's it's all about the feel. And I just like when I go, it's it's just like, it's just what am I feeling while I'm in it? And so like, even just listening to it uh, through my headphones, not being there, like I could tell like, the, the feeling there was an ease there was just an ease amongst the players and then watching it I mean people are smiling people are laughing yeah. people are joking they're looking at you you're like I mean it's just like it's a it feels a lot more laid back than you expect from like your typical orchestra no one's in a tux I mean you know it's it's like it's a lot more chill I mean that's like the 21st century orchestra feel I guess yeah and I think that chillness is because we are really working hard to be dedicated prepared for shows. Mm. Um, we, we, we do everything we can to give every tool to the musicians so that they can do their best and be their best. And hopefully when it comes to concert time, it's more like inspirational. Yeah. In a way, the concert's kind of the icing on the cake. Mm. I think what's really exciting, and, and Sam can speak to this more for himself, but like learning to get into the music of the collaborator we're working with and writing the music, he always says he really dives into who they are. Me working with the musicians that week, we really are just tooth and nail going through like the muck together to mm. fix things. And then the concert comes, it's just like, ah, we're yeah. just letting it all out. And it's like the icing on the cake. The real work's done before the concert. So if you prepared and you give yeah. them all the tools they need, then, you know, hopefully the concert is like an inspirational moment. It's also something we stress to our musicians as well because yeah. the feedback that we get from our audience yeah. is, is exactly what you said, is yeah. that we love coming to your concerts because mu- your musicians look like they're having the best time. Yeah. And so that's what we stress to them like before a concert, I'll say it, in, in our, or, or either of us will say it in our pre-concert remarks, which is just like the joy of your faces, the joy of your expression is mm-hmm. palpable to our audience mm-hmm. and is equally or, or more important than the execution itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, We totally. feed off of it, yeah. for yeah. sure. And the, our audience does too. So so let's talk about the rehearsal process and, and everything that comes beforehand. So uh, once you let, let's just talk um, for a featured artist that you're gonna you're gonna have. Um, how far in advance are you preparing basically for their appearance? Like you know, when do you confirm it? When you confirm them, you know, then then what happens? Well, we're we're trying to be more diligent in terms of okay. um, prepa- pre- preparing earlier with sure. the artist, but um, you know we'll confirm them hopefully in the beginning of the season, and and then we'll speak to them a good couple months out. Okay, um, and come Giacomo and I and the guest artists will collaborate on the set list, and then from there. Um, Oftentimes, it's usually about a week before, a week and a half before the show, Mm -hmm. um, depending on schedule, that the arrangements will begin. Um, They usually finish up about the, if we start rehearsal on Monday, they're coming in sometimes on that Monday. (laughs) Musicians are getting them Monday or Tuesday, and we'll do a couple rehearsals with just musicians. Hmm. Um, And and then we bring the guest artist in the day before, a sound check, and then we're off. How long does it take for you to do the arrangements? So... (laughs) um, I'm a pretty fast worker. Okay. I'll, I'll, oftentimes, um, you know, I'll start them about a week before if mm. we're doing four or five arrangements. Six, it, it just really depends on the artist. Mm-hmm. It can be through a weekend, but um, I'm generally working pretty fast on them. Okay. Wow. Um, and then, 
you said two rehearsals with just the musicians typically or so? Well, that- you, you, just, you made me think of something with the pocket and the groove. We do yeah. have a rhythm sectional usually at the top of the week. Yeah. Because ah, we've always felt sense. and what we've learned, especially not only with New Deco and other orchestras that Sam and I work with, is that if the rhythm section is locked in, loaded, ready to go, the musicians, the orchestral musicians, the ones that aren't playing in grooves like that can just sit on it mm-hmm. and like bask in that and mm-hmm. like just feel free to be within that um, framework. Mm. But the rhythm section is really crucial to getting the style, the the the, the suites that he comes up with, the arrangements, all sort of like locked in, mm-hmm. and then everyone just sits on it. So it makes the rehearsal process go a lot faster. Like we used cool. to waste a lot of time in our regular rehearsals trying to get everyone locked in. Yeah, we've learned that these rhythm sectionals are crucial to the to the rest of the week. After that, depending on the lift of the week, usually it's another what three, four rehearsals yeah. with the full ensemble mm-hmm. before the concert time, and then generally the last two rehearsals, the guest artist comes in and joins. Right. In. So while we're doing music of living composers and working on the suites, maybe the first couple nights kind of diving into that stuff, we usually uh, bring in the guest artists like the second to last rehearsal mm-hmm. and usually give them their time to, to work it out with the orchestra and then the dress rehearsal is just kind of a run through. Do you send the artists in advance uh, like uh, the arrangements? Like and, a MIDI mock-up? Yeah, a MIDI mock-up or something It depends on the like artist. When, okay. when we were working um, with Tune Yards, um, yeah. like Meryl really wanted to collaborate, so I was sending mm-hmm. the arrangements back and forth um, or um, Aaron Parks, jazz pianist. Um, he, you know, he wanted to give feedback on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those were pretty much the only two times um, I've actually sent the arrangement okay. because you know part of what makes the experience magical, especially is if the artist really has no idea what to expect and they get sure. to hear it all for the first time. Their music um, played by an orchestra. Yeah, um, you know that that experience for them is is, is very magical. Cool. And uh, do you do you write in the moments when you know that an artist can rip or something like that? Be like, all right, PJ, you're gonna go here. Yeah, I mean, we definitely will. Will I mean, I generally will take um, the form. I, I do. I. I, I study both the the record version mm-hmm. and I look at live version. I look at the record mm. version for a lot of the uh, the creative ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oftentimes I'll um, orchestrate like a, a really interesting guitar lick and give the guitarist just chords to comp on, mm. and that way, you know, for the artist that, that it's really recognizable and it's kind of home base for them. Cool. And then I'll study. I'll go on YouTube and, and just f- if the artist doesn't have li- like li- a live set available, I'll just go on to YouTube and find a live version so I can know how they perform it and, nice. and what are the areas that they do take time or solos or whatnot. Cool. And then when they come in, they're they're playing on top of the form that they're used to. And then especially now that we're on iPads, we're able if you know we have Corey Henry say, hey, we want to do this first one more time or we want to go back, we're able to make those adjustments on the fly pretty easily nice nice that was also something i was i was interested um how much is written out i mean obviously for the strings every note is written out but like for guitar bass drums like how much is written it really depends um you know a lot of times i'll just give chords or slashes for drums and very light instructions but if i want something specific or i think that there's some like you know a specific pattern i want to play i'll usually just write as is on top of the part or like with a guitar okay if um if if there's a, a a line I want them to specifically play, you know, I'll just say like with bassoon, so they understand that this I play, and then the rest is chords, and mm. they'll, they'll have freedom. But we're in communication during rehearsal, and we can say, you know, that's just for reference, et cetera, et cetera. Do you send any of the players uh, the original song, yes. the live versions, all of that for reference? Yes, okay. I do. I do. At the beginning of um, every week, I'll send our rhythm section the set list, and I'll give them reference recordings. I'll say, you know, if the live mm. version is a different tempo or a different feel, I say reference this version, mm-hmm. et cetera. Cool. And uh, in terms of, of tempos, um, are you 
sticking pretty close to the original tempo of the record or how do you go with that? I I find that I like to use the live tempos a little bit better because okay. that it seems to match the energy that the artist wants to perform. Sure. And, and that's the tempo that um, I'll usually put on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it depends. Once they get there, if, if it feels, you know, with, with the orchestral arrangement, if it feels slower, it's something that we'll kind of figure out during the week. It's not Sweet. really an absolute ever. Cool. Honestly, like tempo I've learned over the years, like there's like little minute variations in tempo that make sense for a different space you're playing in. Mm. Like if something I don't know, like a really big hall, sometimes you got to push things a little bit faster. Oh, sometimes a small hall, maybe you want to drop it one or two BPMs. It's very nuanced and very minor, and actually oh. it's something I learned in the classical world. But like I feel like there's something to that. And he's right. The live experience, like artists who sing songs over and over and over again, tend to get a little quicker as they go throughout yeah, their life. That makes and, sense. and so like things pick up. Do you find uh, any consistency when with artists who are coming in when they're performing with an orchestra they've never done this before? Do they tend to push or do they tend to drag? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> I, honestly, the rhythm section just lays it down. Okay, you know, I only I can only think so they of they tend to sit. Yeah. Well, I, I've only literally I can maybe count on a handful of like an artist saying, "Can you?" punch that up a little bit or okay. can you give that drummer a little coffee or something yeah. you know like it's only happened like once or twice that I specifically remember an artist really being unhappy with tempo usually I have to look back at Sam's and yeah. faster or right. slower uh, because he's yeah. been living yeah, with the I'm arrangement the tempo, and the, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay. and honestly the iPads have really helped because I can just go bloop, bloop, and hit the tempo before usually on my paper I'm like pulling out my metronome and this now I can secretly like check my tempos and make sure I'm like right mm, there nice. and if it needs to go faster it needs to go faster and everything sure. is all you know once something comes off the grid and becomes organic with a human mm-hmm. There's the human element, and sure. and sometimes as amazing as our rhythm section is, they might be like just wanting to sit that day. Yep. So you just got to kind of push it forward a little bit sometimes. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's yeah. really about the vibe and checking in with the artist mm-hmm. to make sure that they're really happy with what they're feeling. Nice, um, Sam. You said that you so in part of your research with the artist, other than just the the uh, musical research mm-hmm. of, of the songs with the live versions, or recorded versions. Um, what other research are you doing of the artist that informs your decision on on the arrangement? It's a lot of listening, um, and uh, what in? I mean, it's it's listening to as many versions as possible. Honestly, like okay. I really try and and find you know go kind of across the board. Like if, if an artist has a tiny desk, that, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of times when we when we talk to artists, we say, hey, you know, we we love this on tiny desk because it's the version that you want to do. So mm. so. You know, for me, or another example of that, when when Corey Henry came, um, um, listened to his jam on the van, jam in the van, mm-hmm. his tiny desk, and totally two different complete versions. So you know, I'd emailed him and say, hey, I noticed that at the end of this, you like to swing it a bit. You know, how would you like to do it here? You know, that those kinds of you know, really digging in and, and trying to find the, the the depth of of you know what what will make that set special. So Corey Henry, for instance, uh, one of the most renowned living keyboard players yeah. right now, um, grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that viral video. I think we've all seen of him at the organ in, yeah, in a church kid. somewhere. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, as a young kid. Um, but uh, now I, I'm I'm more interested in kind of the uh, the uh, the artist's whole story mm-hmm. and kind of so like a lot of listening. You look at their tiny desk and yeah. all of that. Um, in terms of their influences or the styles or their history or their location or where they're from or any of that, is that kind of um, 
is that part of the process at all? Or I mean, I think, and, and Giacomo always says this in our intro call to the artist, but, you know, what's important is really showing the diversity of an artist and, yeah. and kind of showing their whole palette. Um, I think that's, like, probably one of the most important that we, we like to do, um, not like a whole career retrospective, but sure. but really show the range and dynamicism of, of mm, the artists that come. Cool. Do you choose the songs or do they? Uh, we we do it in collaboration. Okay. You know, often our artists will say, what songs do you want to do? And we say, what songs do you want to do? And we, <laughs> we want their experience to really be a dream come true for them. We want cool. them to come down and, and it to be, you know, a heavenly experience. Yeah. Um, when Corey came down, both Jock and I really loved the, the new EP that he did, and he had just come out with a project. So, you know, for, for artists to get to do their new music, especially mm-hmm. with an orchestra, and have that, the, that new piece of content alongside a new project, it's, it's something that we love to champion as well. So we, we also have, had artists who came in with a certain idea, a certain specific thing that they were, like, just on at that moment and wanted mm. to do, but it didn't really make sense in terms of working with us because it didn't not only, it didn't show their range or their, or their total vocabulary while one or two of the songs might have been cool it would have stayed in a certain realm that I think didn't show them off the best so if we feel that way or if we feel the set is like really not going in the direction that we think shows them off the best Mm -hmm. we just explain it to them like this is Mm -hmm. why we want this song this is why we're thinking of this this is what's going to be great honestly a lot of it personally and this has always been a little bit of my thing is how does New Deco and Sam's writing in particular, how does how does it also show off these musicians? Because we never want to be a backup band to mm. anybody. It's all in collaboration. Uh. So how does the sound of New Deco blend in with this particular arrangement or artist in a way that shows everyone off on an equal bill? Okay, so that's really interesting. Now that that New Deco has an identity mm-hmm. and that now you're working in collaboration with this artist, you're not just backing up the artist. Right, right. Let's go into that a little bit deeper. What is the identity of New Deco? Ooh, well, that we really have no wall or ceiling, you know, that we can drop on a dime on any style and any genre and really just turn around and go from something that's soulful and funky or or has a hip-hop vibe to something that's really lush and beautiful and has maybe some Ravel, Debussy vibes, mm-hmm. all within the same context of a particular artist. Um, and you know, while an artist may be a certain genre, mm-hmm. I think we can help bring out and pull out the styles within their genre through all the styles that we feel really comfortable in. But at the end of the day, the orchestra itself is such an incredible vehicle for musical expression. There's no really boundaries that we have. So we really try to impress upon that to the artist. Like, we can do anything you want. We can create a sound world that's anything, as long as you are cool with how we do it or some of the ideas. And then, honestly, Sam, like, will find his moments to show off the string section, mm-hmm. show off the violins. We always call it Hykenize. He's got these little, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, licks for the violin that are, like, really, like, like, just, I don't know, they have, like, some... Like disco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah right. Just something disco that can, like, show off people, you know, or put yeah. solos in a certain place, or the brass in a certain way, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that gives it a certain flavor that ultimately becomes us, you know? Yeah, to add to that, sometimes, um, you know, we'll substitute what would be on the live or record, like a guitar or keyboard solo, as, like, a string feature, or or like just an orchestral feature or mm. tossing a bridge or an outro and like anything that we can do um, to, to really make the arrangements our own and special. Cool. Um, and then when you're bringing the artist in, um, if the arrangements have taken a life of their own, um, like is this something, do, do you give the artist music for them to, to kind of 
uh, help keep them on track of what's happening with it? Or is the, they pretty much all the artists are off book by the time? They're, they're we've never given sheet music to one artist. Okay. I mean, um, oftentimes um, they'll record rehearsals so they can, if, if there's like a form question and they gotcha. just, you know, if, if there's like a little bit of an extra moment just so they're they're clear on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's funny. Some artists say, oh, we'll just take it off the record. We take it off the record. And they're like, well, that's not how it's done. I'm like, well, that's because you've been touring that song <laughs> right. for three yeah, years right, and right. it changes. You go to this one club, oh, yeah. we're going to take this eight bars out. and then, yeah. But that's the cool thing is that we can say to musicians, okay, we're out in measures 51 through 59, which like, and then like we can fix it up really fast. Mm-hmm. So usually that first rehearsal with the guest artist is where they kind of get comfortable with what has been written mm-hmm. and add stuff or not add stuff. I mean, we are, we're always adding repeats. We're always adding like vamp sections. We, yeah. we, we, we're, we're tweaking to the very end. Cool, yeah. cool. Um, so you're based in Miami. Mm. You've always been in Miami. You formed in Miami? We formed in Miami, yes. And what brought you guys to Miami? Why Miami? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know how far back. I, I'm from Miami. I grew up there. Oh, okay. I left when I was 15 to go to Interlochen and then to Juilliard. Um, uh, Sam moved there later in his life after mm-hmm. a career as an orchestral trumpet player. He joined the New World Symphony. So he's been there like 15 or so years now. Okay. So he's fallen in love with the city. And, you know, even when he first moved there, he's like, this is the city we need to be at and plant these seeds. And cool. I'd always had a dream to come back to Miami and do something. It was like one of my mom's big things. Like, sure. why don't you come back and yeah. create an orchestra? I'm like, it's not that simple. <laughs> right, right. But then when I met this guy and we bonded and we had all these ideas and we knew that, you know, there was a lot of synergy between us that we could do something really magical and special. And that was sort of a buildup that started 12 years even before that. So you, you guys, you didn't meet in Miami though, right? No. You met uh, with the Singapore. Singapore. Right, yeah. right. Okay. We were both members of the Singapore Symphony. We mm. joined at the same time. He was mm-hmm. the youngest. On the same day. Trumpet player. Wow. Yeah. In the history of the orchestra. And I was, you know, I was coming from, you know, my master's degree in Cincinnati. And, uh-huh. and uh, we, we met there, joined the orchestra the same day. We were roommates. Just imagine two American expats living in Singapore, playing in a world-class orchestra, touring the world, but also having a lot of free time on our hands because oh, the orchestra did not work that much. <laughs> oh, man. So, yes, we got into trouble. trouble. <laughs> yes, we did a lot of fun things on the side. We were both just like busy bees. Yeah. He was doing his own thing, like with the radio stations there and writing, and we were just having fun. And the funny thing was it was the same time that iMac came out for Apple. Oh, yeah? So, like, all those garage band applications first uh. came out, and he would just jump on these things and, like, start creating music. And we were, I was just like, man, he had a really knack for harmony and then cool. we just we always talked about what the orchestra could be and our version of what we think it needs to be mm. and um, we were writing scripts for conductors we were putting on our own little side hustles and concerts I started a youth orchestra I mean it was just like a whole bunch of stuff we kept doing yeah and then we each, you know, felt the pull, you yeah. know, to go and, and start to f- spread our wings. And, and by that point, it was, we had already started to really it, talk it, about these ideas. It was, it was also at a time where, like, the financial struggles of orchestras nationwide became more apparent. Even, like, big orchestras having a hard time. Um, you know, orchestras you would never think. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, both of us started asking ourselves the question, like, what if in 25 years that orchestra that we were going to join would fold? Like, yeah. what, what would you do then? You know, mm. would, you know, we're 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 not going to be as competitive to people coming out of conservatory at the time. Right. So it, it made us have these just questions about what is the future of the orchestra? What is the future of music? And huh. where was it going? And and those were really the early seeds of what New Deco was. Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. 
They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service, for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less-than-legit pub admin services. Well, 2Loss has partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of Everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue, uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out 2Lost. You can just go to 2Lost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. So that's interesting. So so you had envisioned something like what turned into New Deco because you saw the struggles of the modern day orchestra, yes. what was happening. Um, and right, I... I mean, I don't follow orchestra uh, news or anything like that, but like I, right. I, I mean, no one I know, unfortunately, really goes to the orchestra very often. And you love music. I love music, and I love personally. I do love the LA Phil, and I yeah. and I go when when I can. But like, none of my friends that I know go. Unfortunately, I try to drag them along my birthday or something. like that. And that's that, one but, of like, the more relevant orchestras in this country. That's right. actually extremely successful. Sure, they yes. can be argued as one of the most, if not most, if not successful most, orchestra yeah. for sure in I America. Mean, and it's still a struggle. Right, right, right. I mean, I, just to show my love. I mean, for Halloween this year, I was uh, Gustavo Dudamel. You know. So anyway, uh, like. Two people at the party got it. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> but, that's and, awesome. and he's on like every light post <laughs> yeah, around yeah. Los Angeles. But, yeah. you know, that's just whatever it is. Um, but but so, so that's that's what's really yes. interesting um, because, um, you know, I do have a lot of uh, string friends, string player friends and people who are in orchestras. And they like, you know, people who are from will like fly back to their hometowns or something and play in their, their orchestra, mm. professional orchestra, which even the uh, professional orchestras of like – Oh, gosh, I think it was like Houston or something like that. They're, they are not really paid enough to live on full time. Maybe it wasn't Houston, but like yeah. it's just like it's not quite at a level where it's like necessarily even supporting the musicians. 
um, a lot of these orchestras. And so a lot of the musicians have side hustles yeah, and all that stuff. hundred percent. And I think, you know, one of the big things with orchestras is keeping and retaining talent. And you mentioned yeah. Houston. They actually do pay very well. Oh, okay. But they do, they purposely pay very well because they don't want the best of the best to go on to the Phillies and the Chicago's mm, because those are okay. the top, top, top dogs. Yeah. I mean, cream flows to the top. It doesn't matter what. You know, sure. a great classical musician may start in a Charlotte and move up to Houston and then end up in a Sh- Chicago Symphony one day. That's uh-huh. like, that's like the orchestral player's like path and dream. Gotcha. But the reality is most yeah. of these orchestras, especially these mid-markets, they're going to either be per-service orchestras in time mm-hmm. or not be able to pay the music a full enough salary in order to live and have a you know quality of life that they really want. So they sure. teach, they do other stuff on the side. And I would argue that a lot of the big symphony orchestras that do pay these huge, huge fees, mm-hmm. end of the day, sometimes musicians get frustrated within those contexts because they're doing the same thing over and over again. Not that it's not beautiful and amazing of and course. incredible. Of course. It's just... You know, we wanted to always provide an outlet for musicians that gives them like that diversity of performing. In fact, one of the main reasons we wanted to start it is we felt like the musicians in South Florida in particular did not have a a new music ensemble like Miami, new music, contemporary art, Mm -hmm. contemporary everything. Mm -hmm. Why is there not a new music ensemble? LA, New York has multiple. Like Miami should have one that's really badass and is slick and can kill it. And that was the genesis that led to where we are now, which is we still have that part of us, but we also have really expanded and just mm. kind of taken the, the idea of what the orchestra can be and just really kind of blew it out of the water. So getting started <laughs> with an orchestra yes. in Miami, how do you even go about that? You have a party and get them really drunk. <laughs> I mean, there was a, Giacomo and I took a good amount of time to figure out exactly what we wanted to do. And even that's changed since then. But coming up with a mission statement, we actually had a friend. Um, we've had several friends that have started groups and, and that were, were not the model, but the impetus in a way. Okay. Um, but Giacomo had a friend that started an orchestra in Dallas. And I and we got on the call with him and we're like, so how do you start an orchestra? How do you start, yeah. you know, what, what, what does it mean to start a not-for-profit? And it's, you have to write a mission statement. That's the first thing. And then articles of incorporation. And it was like all the kind of the steps to like not-for-profit 101. Mm. And we just started just checking off those steps. We, we took time. We wrote probably like a five five page nonsensical mission statement the first yeah. one that we ever did cool. um, you know got got be, turned it into a company we we brought a um, another partner um, involved more on, on the business side that that could help us come up and none of us had written a budget before so mm. just those kinds of very basic business 101 that neither of us had really knew how to do yeah um, you know created a uh, you know, applied for not-for-profit status. Um, mm. And once we, and it took it took a while, um, and then started just going around the community telling people what we wanted to do, build our own careers meanwhile. And then, you know, eventually um, we applied for some funding through the Knight Foundation. Um, through the what foundation? The Knight Foundation. What is which, that? The Knight Foundation is um, based in Miami. They fund um, not-for-profits and arts in um, cities around the country. Cool. I don't know how many. I think they're in 11 or 12 cities, Detroit, okay. St. Paul, Charlotte. and But Miami is their headquarters. And um, I had done some projects for them and, and gotten to know their leadership. And we applied for something called the Night Arts Challenge, which is an open call for ideas. You, you submit 100 words, and we submitted our idea for New Deco. And when we got to the finals of it, we really were like this. This is going to happen. We're, we're we're if we get this or we don't get this, we 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 took the plunge. Yeah. Figured out where we wanted to play. We found a space in um, in Wynwood, which is the arts district of Miami, okay. um, which used to be a really um, tough neighborhood. But then once the artists moved in, it it it, it really started to come to life. Cool. Anyways, once we figured out the where we wanted to play, what we wanted to play, 
we, like Giacomo mentioned, we invited all the musicians in town that we we wanted to play for us. And we said to them, we're not asking for any money. We're just asking for a bit of your time. And mm -hmm. so we recorded a, an introduction video to what New Deco is. Hmm. And then booked a date at a venue and said, funding, no funding, we're going to do this. We're going to figure it out. Wow. And then we did get the funding. We got we got a $75,000 grant for two years to make cool. this happen. And, and off and running, did our very first concert. Wow. I think we also, he speaks to this idea. We had a friend in Dallas who started the auction. We also got some other great advice. I mean, we looked at a bunch of different ensembles to kind of like look at the ideas and see sure. what other groups were doing. There were several out there doing kind of interesting things. We homogenized our own ensemble and yeah. the way we wanted to do it. But there was a guy I spoke to who said, you need to pretend like just one day you flip the lights on and you're there. Website needs to be there. Right. Facebook page needs to be there. A video needs to be there. Photos need to be there. You need to have something recorded. So like yes. you just walk into the room, you flip the switch on, and there is new deco. It has a presence. It has a right. life. Uh -huh. So part of this idea of bringing the musicians in was to say, hey, we're going to make this video. We're going to record a couple pieces. We're going to record a couple audio things. We're going to record some video things. We're going to do some interviews. It's a whole day of everything. Like nice. we, we invested a lot of money in pretending like we were an organization that already existed and was alive Smart. so that we can go blip and then all of a sudden we're there everything there photos audio video website facebook page all of it and that was like a really good piece of advice because it gave us a focus to like really just get it done mm. and make it happen and he was right we were in the finals and we were just like we're going to do this anyway yeah and then through that process of just you know pulling down from the universe this is what we're going to do yeah we ended up getting that grant after but once we flipped the lights on we're there we That's, existed yeah. you know a lot of people was like oh just start doing concerts and see right. what happens or right. don't pay your musicians now and we're like yes. no we wanted to pay the musicians <laughs> yep. we wanted to give them a fee I mean actually Sam was really strong about that I'm not going to ask anyone ever to do anything for free right. I'd rather cancel a concert than not pay our musicians mm -hmm. because there's a lot of shady things that sometimes Man. musicians have to go through you yeah, know and, and Miami's no different so mm -hmm. you know we just wanted to really have that set mm. have the idea of who we are flip on the switch and one yeah. thing we actually invested in um, with some of the early grant money was PR so we had a lot of articles written about the, the founding of the orchestra when it came out nice. and got a lot of press radio articles and um, we ended up selling out our first concert for, for 200 people right. and what ended up happening um, it was like what we call now our pilot concert because we had gotten so much press other um, presenting organizations started reaching out to us and you know we when after we did our first show we asked ourselves okay for our first season how many concerts do we really feel like we have the capability to raise money for and present and we decided on three that we we're going to do three concerts of two nights each mm. but what ended up happening was because we had gotten so much press around the first concert in Miami we had different organizations say we want to present you as well oh. so in our first season we ended up having six or seven concerts different concerts one was for the anti-defamation league cool. one was for a presenting arts organization the rhythm foundation and it very quickly made us seem and and showed that we, we, we had a season and we were we were here in Miami we were we were an arts organization wow yeah oh, and, and people exciting. would discover us at the concert going what what I don't even didn't even know this existed as yeah. if we'd existed for a long time <laughs> right, but right, it was yeah, really right. our first season you right know? yeah so we 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 and also to, to, to the entrepreneurship side like mm -hmm. we never made a decision even on spending 500 bucks we never made a decision without all consulting each other sam myself and dan uh baltigar who's the, our unofficial cfo who really came in and like helped us with all the business side and wrote cool. and you know so we were like like I remember having a call. I was in my job in Texas, and Sam's like, "Hey, there's this PR company. They do all this stuff online. They, you know, how much is it?" And he's like, "Seven fifty. I was like, "Well, I need to talk to them. Yeah, if we're gonna spend seven hundred fifty dollars on them, I want to, you know, and we yeah. would, you, we would never make a big decision on money without. So we, it was always like this hive mind going on, like decision. And I always felt like if it was one person, it'd be a tougher slog, you know, mm -hmm. and you couldn't mm -hmm. do it all. But because 
there was decision making and important things happening in this like circle of trust because mm. you know Sam and I've been best friends at that point for ten whatever years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other guy we brought in he was one of my best friends from ninth grade. Wow, is super successful in business. It's like you're, you, you, it's not like who's who's edging the other person. It was like, nah, we really want to do this for Miami. We want to make it dope and we want it to kill. So let's make the right decisions. And I think that was one of the biggest helps at the beginning is like never making a decision without one another. Mm, that's that's great. Uh, when did Dan come into the, uh, the process? Very early on. Yeah. I mean, really... Um, once we we Once just, realized yeah. the paperwork that had to be done, <laughs> <laughs> paperwork yeah. application. Yeah, I mean, we we once we had figured out kind of what it was and what the program was and what the mission yeah. was going to be. Yeah, and then it was like, okay, we need a little bit of help here, mm. and um, you know, at just writing that massive application for a not-for-profit status sure. was enough to say, you know, help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a friend of ours who, you know, he visited us in Singapore. He always he was always musically inclined. He had played the violin in high school. He always wanted to do something in Miami anyway. Cool. Mm. So this was, like, perfect. And then, like, once he was on board, that was it. You yeah. know, we had the business savvy and experience through him, which was really crucial in hiring our first, you know, employee, was really crucial in making big decisions. Sam has an act for this already anyway mm-hmm. for like the business side of things and and, and and common sense in the business world he had that sure. it was like my ceo training like okay. help yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but then at the same time like you know we just you know we we all make decisions based on different things you know like some of us use our hearts some of these are mine some of this combines it all but the fact that us three were like impenetrable it helped mm-hmm. us so mm. much so um, you're a not-for-profit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what is kind of the future of New Deco? What, what, how are you looking to take it now? You just um, Are you in your fifth season? You just completed your fifth season? We're, we're, we're in the middle of it. In the right. middle of the fifth season yeah. right now. Um, and have you always been featuring artists from season one? From our or? first concert. We knew, okay. we, we knew that one. It, it had to be part of our model. I mean, we kind of fell into this formula, yeah. which was our first half would be living composers, newer music. Our, our second half would begin with a collaboration with a guest artist. And okay. then the concert would end with a suite of music. So the first concert, cool. we did four different composers. We we started the second half with one of with a local band named Afro Beta. Cool. Uh, and then we ended with a Daft Punk suite. Sick. And then we took that formula and it's really still the formula to this day. We change it up a bit depending on the the hall we play in and and now sometimes we'll do a whole half with a second with, with a guest artist or, or or we'll do two guest artists. And mm-hmm. it, it it changes but generally speaking we've we've kept with this formula. So um, sorry, I'm going to get to the future question in a second. Again, uh, the hall you play in. So you change halls. You don't have a permanent location, right? We play in four different concert halls throughout every season. In uh, concert halls, but venues. Venues. And what are the? Are they all kind of seated theater that kind of thing? Or what no, kind of no. Are they? So it, it they they range in size. Um, the the hall that we play or the venue that we play in the most of right now it's called the Citadel, which is um, state of the art, 300 seat, very intimate venue that's broadcast ready, streaming ready. Cool. Um, the second floor of this building is run by Entercom Media um, and it's, the, it's their, their showcase for instead of doing an in-studio performance they can use that venue mm-hmm. and we're the only other ensemble that's that's in that venue. Dope. But then that also we also play in the Adrian Arch Center, which is a two thousand seat performing arts center. Oh wow. And then in between that there is the New World Center, which is um, in a Frank Gary state of the art building on Miami Beach that holds seven hundred and fifty. It's in the round, it's kind of that in between spot. And then our kind of most left of center spot, it's called the North Beach Band Show historical venue on North Beach mm-hmm. that um, it's a combination of seated and standing. It's mm. an outdoor oh. venue. 
Cool. Yeah. That's right. like our little mini Hollywood bowl out there. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. It's a really a lot of fun. But nice. just to add to that point, yeah, yeah. we always play to the venue. Yes. Okay. So we tailor make the programs for the venue. We tailor make our sound for the venue. We tailor make the artist even the kind of artist, decisions yeah. for the venue. Um, gotcha. and, and it's funny, you're mentioning the model from the early on. I always thought in the very beginning, the guest artist model was kind of like, like a classical symphony will have a soloist, like a yeah. violinist or a cellist. Let's sure. make that spot that. Except now it's like a cool guest artist instead of like a classical uh, yes, violinist. Exactly. Yes. But we've kind of done both now. We've kind of had that mix and match of artists that maybe came from the classical world, like people like Time for Three or Project Trio. But at the same time, you know, it, that spot has kind of grown and become what it's become. And he's right. Like if you get Wyclef to come and, and open up your season, you're going to give him a whole half. Right. right. Same as if Josh Bell comes and plays a concerto with you, you're going to give him the whole half. Of course. It's Josh yeah. Bell. You know, right. it's the greatest right. superstar classical violinist out there. So yeah. that's we, we, we really think about that in terms of the presentation. Very highly curated, start to finish, and we're tweaking, tweaking, tweaking to the last possible second we can and tweak. We're not afraid mm-hmm. to call an audible either. We've done it um, multiple times where we're just saying, you know, we've had a, we have a program and we start the week and we say, you know, is this program is this piece the best to open up the first half or the beginning of the concert? Is it you know for the audience for the musicians? And 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 what we've done twice this year is we've thrown in you know one of what we call our party pieces, like a, a short piece to settle our musicians settled the audience and start the concert and oh, made that cool. decision the week of yeah. and our musicians go with it and you know yeah. well, it's always a journey right yeah. you want to take the audience member on a journey and those journeys have peaks and valleys so sometimes a piece starts off with it's really angular and brash and punchy mm. but then people need a rest you need to like get the ears like a soft moment to like chill out for a second so you mm. can bring down the music a little bit and maybe the second piece is something a little smaller more intimate and then you want to finish strong before first half so you want to take them back up on the climb but you don't want to peak too early because you have the guest artist and the suite coming later right, right. so you're like you want it to be like this and then we're going to take a break and oh my gosh, we'll get a drink and come back and yeah. then you're going to get blown away. Cool. But sometimes that first piece is is almost too much to take right away. So uh-huh. there's like almost like a palate, like here we're going to have a little appetizer before we we deliver like kind of the first plate of this this entire program. And Giacomo actually came up with the idea when we started playing in the Arch Center in the big venue to actually reverse the form a bit and which was when we started doing this, the artist to end the program mm-hmm. and then we would put the suite of music to begin the program. Oh. Yeah, and kind of, and, 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 and that, that had... Um, Mixed results, I would say, depending on what the rest of the program was. When when we did our Queen Suite, yeah. we uh, we followed that with Stravinsky's Petrushka, which was kind of jagged for our musicians, and and, and made us kind of question that and, and adjust that moving forward. And yeah. is Stravinsky still alive? No, no. He, I thought you did only living composers. Twentieth and twenty first uh, century composers is, got is it. kind Not of living the realm we're in. Yeah, I, got we, it. Okay. I mean, the majority is living composers. Okay, okay. but where you know Stravinsky was a stretch, and yeah. we want to dive back into him again at some point. But like okay. Ravel, Gershwin, Copland, Bernstein, all these early twentieth century masters who kind of yes. helped form the American sound. Right. You know, minimalist composers like John um, Adams and Terry mm-hmm. Riley. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all people. Steve Reich. You know, these are all people we wanted to really celebrate it as well. Cool. And one of the rules that we came up with for our organization is that if we were going to do any composers that were prior to the 20th century, mm-hmm. they would have to be reimagined. So oh, we do Bach. Wait. You re... Yeah. You... Whoa, blasphemy! <laughs> oh my gosh! So, what? Yeah. Wait, explain. So you arrange... Yes. You rearrange we're, Bach? Yes. Yeah, so we, oh, we do... Shit. We do... Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we do a Bach that's, we call it Takata e Fuga, and, <laughs> and it's a Latin, it's like a Miami version of Bach's Takata and Fugue. Damn, um, We've okay, done Bizet fun. this year. Um, it's one of our party pieces. Yeah. It's one of the right, pieces that makes right. We actually, we did a holiday show this year, and um, we did a reimagination of the Nutcracker, which was immensely successful Whoa, with our audience. Cool. Yeah. So you do, um, 
So how much Miami kind of um, seeps into the arrangements and like the style and what you decide to do? I mean, I think every every um, reimagination we do always has a little bit of Miami. I mean, that's okay. where we are. Miami's right. a melting pot. Yeah. Miami's got um, an, an edge. I'm writing with Miami-based players. There's always that kind of um, that. There's always like a little bit of an edgy element into sure. it. And um, you know, well, we just did um, Fleetwood Mac, and we Don't Stop mm. was an Afrobeat version okay. of Don't yeah. Stop. Yeah, um, you know, when we did the the Waltz of the Flowers became a, a very Latinized Miami version of it. When we did the Nutcracker. Cool. So so. Cool. We feel there, there'll always be some sort of Miami element in anything that we do. Yeah. yeah. Also, I feel like world music, too. Like, yeah. Or mm-hmm. The way the rhythm section and the hybrid part of the ensemble has kind of developed is, of course, we have a drummer and he can slay and do whatever. Yeah. But he always asked about having someone else to kind of fill in, thicken things up, make things different. So we have this mm-hmm. other guy, Brian Potts, who plays like congas, you know, bongos and shakers and tools. And he, he I mean, I remember he the one. He builds his own percussion. He builds his own percussion. I remember it was like <laughs> we were doing trap music and, you know, like he's hitting this like metal tin can it's like Made, yeah. It was like a metal can that he made sound like an 808. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's like an 808 snare that yeah, he, was, he yeah, yeah. built from a metal And then can. what's his name of the tambourine he uses The boom, that, that has that, like, the, there's like tambourine that has like a, a plug-in, so it sounds like a doom, 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 but it's a tambourine. Oh, yeah. wow. It's cr- bombero, bon, yeah. bon, bandero. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And he has like a whole group. So it, just very creative guys yeah. That's that told us if we're working together, we can make some crazy percussion sounds and we can really open this up in a new way. And it got to the point where it's like really magical. It's same on the synthesizer end. Like we have like a synth guy who is you know, huh. playing on Moog or I'm playing on Profit and it's like creating, you know, we give him the flexibility to create his own sounds for, for the piece and give him the time throughout the week. You know, mm. some, sometimes we'll hear stuff come out of the rhythm section and... <laughs> Jack always raises his eyebrow, but we give them that that flexibility. Oh, yeah, <laughs> now. Like a guitar player, like put on this like moderating, and it's just like it's like you know for yeah yeah. But we just we give them that time because that that cool. that, that creative element amongst yeah. the musicians, and even with our winds and brass players, like some oh you mind if I take that down an octave or, or like you know we we I always say that like the arrangement is is a reference point and try stuff and okay. and don't cool. be afraid like wow. as a section if you want to if you want to change this articulation change this note like that like the, the creative aspect is something we really push and we want our players to feel that freedom because I mean that 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 collective element is yeah. really where the magic happens. That's really interesting. So I'm I'm assuming you're at all the rehearsals. Yes. Right. And so I mean that's quite unique where the orchestra is collaborating with not just the director, not with each other, but with the arranger all yeah. right there. Yeah. All arranger. All right there. And so that it is a full, I mean, that kind of seems like what New Deco's identity is. Yeah. I mean, that feels like New Deco's identity right there is this full-on collaboration collectively so together. So it used to be, just to clarify, that that the first three years, all of the suites were I, I did by myself. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty taxing. And it's like, you know, you you, <laughs> you don't want to find yourself repeating yourself. And sure. um, and then once we started bringing these rhythm element, rhythm section players that they they expressed interest in being part of the writing process. Yeah. And once we started mm-hmm. all working together cool. on these pieces, I mean, I became more, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, sitting at the computer in Sibelius and doing all the inputting and making the decisions, but it's almost mm-hmm. like being the executive producer and, and taking these ideas in. And what that led to was a, you know, freshening up of all these pieces and but also more buy-in from the players as well like yeah. once once they started buying into the creative process instead of just coming in and working for the arranger being mm-hmm. part of it it just it opened up everything and and can i speak to that a little sure. bit yeah. another thing that developed because of that was trust 
mm. between not only his collaborators on the music, but then the orchestra, like, oh, all these guys wrote this piece together. So, like, our drummer sometimes will say something to strings, and our concertmaster may say something to the electric oh, bass player. Wow. I mean, communication and trust is so open now. Huh. I mean, obviously, we're the leaders. I'm the guy on the podium. Sure. I've got to make the ultimate decision. Sometimes I have to make a quick one. Yeah. But the trust, it's, it's, it's almost, I would say, getting to a point, like, our trumpet player will sometimes pull out a flugel hmm, right, and just yes. like add mutes. And I'm right. like, I don't even like know anymore until like wow, the show, right. oh, he's on a flugel because <laughs> it, it seems so right. Yeah. And it's like we've created this environment yeah. for like a musical utopia. Oh, we so want cool. people to like really have the buy-in, as he says. Yeah. And and we've tried all kinds of different ways to get the buy-in because, you mm. know, a paycheck's a paycheck, anyone's. Right, right. But like when you have real buy-in and people are really committed with their heart and soul to something, mm. you can create this environment like this musical utopia where creativity flows back and forth. You mm. can try things here and there. Yeah. There's no no two solos are the same. Um, and it sometimes you're on the edge of your seat like, oh, God, what's going to happen? Who's yeah, going to do yeah. what? But then usually you're like, whoa, that was like yeah, crazy magical yeah. that we never even expected would happen. It's like a band. It's, it's a, band. a band. We consider operates. ourselves a band. Yeah. yeah. But it's like a 30-piece band. Right, <laughs> right. But that's so cool that there's this mutual respect and collaboration amongst everybody, which, I, I mean. Can't I, happen overnight. Right, I would imagine five years yeah. to get to where we are, and it'll be another five before we get to yeah. where we're sure. gonna go. You know, I like I'm would be very surprised if this exists in this kind of capacity anywhere else, where there's this kind of collaboration amongst the orchestra, the yeah. arranger, and the conductor. Um, I mean, that's. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's I think exciting. there's some groups that like all contribute and talk. There's actually a group out here called Kaleidoscope that like there's no conductor. Okay, and so their rehearsals are a little longer, but they figure it out and talk. I think there's ways to do it. Yeah. You know, string quartets historically there was always like sure. communication, people yes. talk, but to that's have it people at, right. exactly, yeah. but to yeah. have it at the level you're mm -hmm. right. It's it's I can't I don't know of another institution mm -hmm. that can do something like that. Well, and also I mean. To your guys' credit, it takes removing a lot of your ego from the equation because a lot of conductors, as we know, you know, that's the, yeah. the ego plays a lot into it and they like what to be. <laughs> and like to just like, you know, that that's like the humility that, yeah. that comes into it where you understand for the greater good of what New Deco is, this is kind of what makes every makes you better. It's also it also speaks to like legacy as well because ultimately, you know, for me, I, I you know, on the writing side, I don't want to just it it to be perceived as it's just all about Sam Hyken's music. Mm -hmm. We want the music to be by New Deco, you know, yes, that, and that that it lives beyond Jockmo and I, you know, after you know when it, we don't want this just to be something that's just Jockmo and I, and if mm -hmm. it, it 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 doesn't exist outside of us. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I I feel like New Deco is is starting to have if not already, but it's really having a sound. Mm. Yes. And so, like, I was listening to your your new record, uh, which is phenomenal, by the way. Thank you. Um, and it... it has it. it's so powerful mm. it's so intense and it's great i mean yeah. it's been phenomenal but yeah but it's like it has this sound <laughs> what we were joked with our producer kishibashi he's like this is a very masculine <laughs> album by, yeah, yeah. music by a bunch of dudes done yeah, by a bunch I mean, of it, dudes you know, it's right right it hits you in the face it's a, you know um it's great um but this is like the sound and that's like you know getting back to that what is the new deco identity and what yeah. is new deco all about um, that, you know, I think everything we've been going through, it, it makes a lot of sense. I also feel like we each have a job to do, mm -hmm. you know? And if the musicians really understand that their role is to take the music they come on, bring their attention, creativity to it, that's their job. My job is to hold it all together. Sam's job is to write the best he can. Mm -hmm. You know, we all are, no one's higher or lower. You know, we, 
we're elevating all music, right? Mm. Whether it's a reimagining of Bizet and Bach or Copland and Bernstein and Gershwin or a living composer or Fleetwood Mac or Kishibashi. Yes. We're trying to lift everything up. All music valued equally. Yeah, and, mm. and so that that's the same way with musicians. Like everyone, we only have one oboe player. She's the only one that can play that oboe that way. Yeah. We only have one bass player who plays the way he plays. Like cool. we, when we come together, we're going to create a certain sound that week that can never be replicated because it's a certain amount of people doing a certain thing. Mm. And if you like, you speak about ego. If you, if everyone understands that, leaves their hat, the ego hat at the door, and comes in as I have a job to do, which is be as prepared as I can on everything we're going to conduct mm-hmm. and have a vision for the architecture of the music. You know, the musicians is to be as prepared as they can and know what they can know, and we provide the tools for that. Sam is the right and be, you know, it's, we all have a job to do. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. one's more, sure, it's more stressful on our end, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't mean it's more important or valuable. Mm-hmm. And if we all come to the table with this idea that we're all inclusive here to make something really special, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the cultivation we really worked hard the last couple of years to, to build. Love that. Love that. I want to talk about uh, a little bit of the the community aspect of uh, New Deco's involvement um, in kind of the community work that you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said you had, so yeah, just speak to that kind of uh, the community involvement. So we, Giacomo and I knew from the very beginning, um, Mm -hmm. education and outreach, and that work has always been important to both of us. Both of us were when we were at Juilliard at different times, were really involved in the education outreach department. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of us played in quintets that went into um, old age homes and and did um, education concerts, et cetera. So it's something mm-hmm. really important. And we 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 did it from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. At our very first concert, we had a relationship with the magnet school and invited them to our dress rehearsal and did a side by side after that. Cool. Now that's developed into um, an education program we call New Deco Imagination, which mm-hmm. consists um, of both um, education concerts that we do um, at the Seminole Theater in Homestead, where Giacomo is from, he can speak to that a bit. But then when we do our shows at the Arsh Center, we'll also bus in kids during that week and do um, play for like 4,000 kids. Uh, some some from our repertoire designed around a theme. Cool. In addition to that, um, at our big halls, um, it's a program that we started this year. Um, that we call New Deco Access, that we um, we give away 400 tickets to underserved communities. Um, nice. So so our, our concerts are more inclusive. Mm. Um, then we'd also do in-school concerts as well with our smaller group. And finally, this year, we're launching our very own youth orchestra that we're calling New Deco Next. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wait. So let's let's talk about that. What does that look like? How is it? What's going on with that? Well, I mean, honestly, when we perform for kids, and yeah. I'll just really quick dive in on the, the Homestead, because that's where we started from yeah. these education concerts. Yeah. Homestead hadn't had an orchestra visit down there in over 40 years. Wow. Their hall had just reopened. Huh. It's a migrant community full of uh, immigrants and migrants hmm. who were totally undocumented. Hmm. And, you know, we knew that if we stayed in the Miami area, that's the more sexy thing to do, like hmm. to go, you know, and, and play around Miami. But we wanted to go south hmm. because not only was I from there, but it just felt like the right thing for us to do to get back to these kids. Hmm. And what we noticed is that a lot of those kids got to know what an orchestra is through us. And and wow. we started getting feedback like these kids were like really into what we're doing, and then a lot, some of them would actually have seen us in junior high go and study with people at New World School of the Arts that are are, are members of the orchestra, and they were like, wow, they saw an education. It was really starting; the seeds were starting to plant. Yeah. And then you know, honestly, we've always wanted to do a youth orchestra, but we knew that we had to get to a certain place with where we are to be able to do it. And sure. you know, what we wanted to do is bring kids together like we've brought our community together. Mm. 
we have become this access point for the community, for people who may be interested in Daft Punk, but then they get to hear new music by a living composer. People who are really into new music by a living composer is going to come and hear, you know, uh, Kishibashi do his thing. And, mm. and, and so we've become this, like, access point, like a gravitational pull for all these people who have different, you know, uh, aesthetics and what they like in music, but through the vehicle of the orchestra. Mm. We want to do that for the kids. We want to yeah. bring kids from schools that they're, maybe they're just in a jazz band. They never get to work with string players. We want to bring in kids who play in youth orchestras and play a string instrument, but they may, they may love Kanye West, you know? Mm -hmm. So why not come in and get to vibe out with some kids who from another school who never get to work with an orchestra? So basically the same principle and model of bringing people together through the style of music making we do, we wanted to do with the youth orchestra. But also have elements of like, you know, you know, community leadership, yeah. uh, entrepreneurship, health and wellness. Hmm. You know, we're adding yoga and meditation, and you know, we're 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 teaching these kids skills, life skills that we know that most, at least to my knowledge, I don't think a lot of classical music conservatories really dive into that stuff. They just hmm. teach you how to play your instrument really well, and they mm -hmm. give you the skills that they know how to give you, so you can go and have your own career. But we want to give kids these options right now in high school to show them, hey, if you do this, you can become a writer, you can become a ranger, you can work with an orchestra, you can work hmm. with a band. And it's, it's all up to you what you really want to do, what your heart is all about. Mm -hmm. But we have a lot of musicians in our group who are like that anyway. They're very savvy. They do a lot of different things. So we want to give them all these tools, not only in the music-making side, but also on the entrepreneurship, health, and wellness side. And so they can, creativity as well. Like, right. Uh, like improv. One, one thing that we're doing, yeah, improvisation also. Um, hmm. Um, collective composi composition. Mm. So, so the creativity, the health and wellness, the the flexibility and styles, and just getting kids to play together that don't usually get to play together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. So, when does that launch? In a few weeks. No, we're, we're auditioning right. kids right now. We're cool. putting the orchestra together. Um, Are you leading it? Giacomo, I'll or? come in the last couple of days and help okay. with the concert. I think it, it, it's it's bigger than me. Okay, you know we want we want to bring in a lot of like really talented instructors, and okay. we, we've had some people come in and help us get the sort of like the the bones together because okay. this is a big big project and sure. we want to do it the right way. Um, so it's really we're doing an intensive like a spring break intensive and gotcha. everything's kind of building toward that down the road. It would be great if we had multiple weeks a year, mm. but uh, we just want to kind of get the pilot off the ground right now. I'll yeah. come in of course conduct the concert and give them my vibe, but like I. Think I think it's really important that they learn how to make music together and right. have instruction that's like really hands-on. Mm -hmm. I think this idea that a kid shows up one day a week and sits in the back of a violin section and plays two hours with an orchestra while a, a, a conductor is telling them what to do right. is is good and it has its place. But I think we want to give them a very hands-on, like you know, deep dive into what it is to be a great. Uh, team member you mm. know music is diplomacy mm -hmm. at the end of the day mm -hmm. it's a give and take and and there's no greater higher musical human sort of connection that people can make uh than sharing music together it's an unspoken language it's another language that you artists they talked about at the grammys like music pulls people together and allows them to communicate in ways they don't get to do we hope to do that through this youth orchestra and bring these kids together in a way so they can learn how to start talking to other people and learn that, like, you know, maybe your way isn't the highway. You know, mm. like, let's all share and grow and, and adapt and be flexible. I mean, that's what I've learned leading New Deco. Sure. I mean, it's affected my conducting hmm. tremendously because, you know, a lot of what I do is more than just giving time beats. You know, right. it's expression, it's architecture, it's listening, it's getting feedback from the group. What is the group really telling me as I'm conducting it? They want to slow down or they want to go faster. Mm -hmm. Go with it. Let's yeah. see what happens, you know, yeah. and, and keeping kids ears open and, and keeping their emotional, um, I don't know, or open to hmm. what is possible, mm -hmm. I think is um, a really beautiful thing that they can carry with them as they as they move forward in their lives and careers. Amazing. 
Well, Giacomo, Sam, uh, I have one final question for you guys that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask you each individually to, to, as you can answer individually. You go first. So I have more time. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does it mean to you uh, to make it in the new music business? Ooh, what does it mean to make it? We used to always joke, fake it till you make it. Okay. Um, I feel just very blessed and honored that I've been given a gift that I'm able to share with people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really know what make it or not make it is. I mean, I have a wonderful life with great collaborators and wonderful friends. I feel supported. I, you know, obviously make enough money to live and have a certain lifestyle that I appreciate right now. Mm -hmm. It was never about the money for me per se, but... I was always about like creating something that you have some ownership in. And I think for me, this, the ownership stake of New Deco just means so much. You know, as a guest conductor, I go around and conduct orchestras, and it's great. I get to work with these amazing ensembles and institutions that like really are tremendous and kind of like, wow, that's a yeah. really great accomplishment from, my, from a personal standpoint. Yeah. But to create something like a baby from the very beginning and watch it grow and see where it grows into and how it's spread its own ways, you know, you plant a seed and then that seed grows in different directions. To sit, up, so to sit back and now and see where that's going and to like kind of shape it and when it needs to be shaped and also let it go when it needs to be going, it's, mm -hmm. it's been a really, it's changed me as a human and it's mm -hmm. made me more open and um, just really enjoying life in a new, more deep profound way than it would be if I'm just chasing the dream to conduct every orchestra I want to conduct. It just, mm -hmm. that's part of it. And I love that. And I sure. get feedback from that. But the reality is to have this baby and have it grow is it, for me, that's making it, you Amazing. know? Yeah. Great. Sam. So for me, um, you know, Giacomo and I, we, <laughs> we, we've talked about this, which is, you know, especially in today's world, things come so fast and the, the moments of accomplishment, uh, like for us as individuals, don't always feel like they last. But what's so wonderful about New Deco is we're constantly feeling like we're giving other people amazing experiences, like the guest artists or our own musicians. And those feelings of, of, of giving others um, these um, um, amazing moments is what keeps us going. Mm. And I feel like that's what's really making it in, in this, this new industry today. Nice. Um, we're really in a renaissance. The ability to create is is at everybody's fingertips now. We were yep. just talking about this with TikTok and everything. Mm -hmm. You can anybody can be an artist and it's really we're living, living in a renaissance. So mm -hmm. so, you know, by by providing these meaningful experiences for others, it's it's how I feel personally about what it means to make it. Right on. Thank you guys so much for coming on the Thanks, show. Sorry. And uh, I can't wait to get to Miami and check out a, a concert. Come down, yeah. man. Have some fun. That's a game sorry. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. Brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. Uh -huh.